So we're delighted to now have Valerie Smith, who's the public engagement lead with the Irish Hospice Foundation, and Sharon Cahar, who's solicitor with Cahar & Co. So we've brought both of them in because there's a very interesting initiative um, that I think we're all very interested in, which is actually planning your final wishes, actually thinking, starting with the end in mind, so not thinking in it in a sad way, but actually how you can get the administrative affairs in order. Um, and so we're delighted that through the Clare Older People's Council, there is actually a roadshow happening in Clare. And and the Irish Hospice Foundation have a roadshow throughout Ireland to actually promote their thinking ahead form. And Sharon Cahar is hosting it in uh, with the Clare Older People's Council in Clare. So we were delighted to have the two of you in. Um, and just, I suppose, we just want to learn a little bit more about it. So um, if we could, um, sorry, I, I had prepared questions, so I'm just having a look now. So Sharon, I'm going to just start with you. So given all that has gone on over the past number of years, so more people are starting to consider getting their affairs in order. Can you talk us through what this actually involves? Well, I think with the with the pandemic, um, it's interesting. People are now asking to say, are people a little bit more panicked talking about death? Because mm-hmm. it, it was very front and centre. But if I go back to this roadshow that was there in 2019, I think the single key thing that needs to happen is education. And I think we saw very clearly in Clare and also in Limerick, I did an, an event with the Irish Hospice Foundation, is that we really saw that once people had education, it took the yes. fear out of it. Yeah. It got people thinking about what they could do as a plan and how mm. they could move towards thinking about it and engaging with their own families or wider circles. So once the fear of death itself, you know, was yeah. gone from it, it just became a much more inclusive and an engaging conversation. Yes. And I think that's the thing is none of us are getting out of this alive. So, you know, we all have to go. Yeah, I like to think about the end, but yeah. tough. Yeah. It, it's and, coming. And, 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 part of, and part of this, you know, when Valerie and I will, will, will speak on it together, it's very much a journey because yeah. part of moving towards that end, you, you know, I say at 55, that's sort of his middle age. Yeah. So from there on, we're thinking about in life, what can we do, th- you know, yeah. for our third act yeah. before retirement, after retirement. So it is in sickness, in health, how yeah. do we prepare, a lot of family situations. How do you have that dialogue? You think about when I'm gone very easily say, oh, the last shroud has no pockets. Yeah. So what what will I do with what's left? Yeah, so yeah. everybody goes to a will at death, but yeah. actually it's the journey to yeah, there yeah, yeah. where preparing for, for sickness, preparing if you're going to be very ill, mm. if you were at the end, who would make certain decisions mm. with you for you? Have you capacity? Do you not? So, so really empowering people around you to make better decisions for you, yeah. for what you want. Yes, and then yeah. for what you want after you're gone, I say to people, you know, what sort of a legacy do you want to leave? Yeah. Is it hurt? Or harmony, mm-hmm. and that's the journey towards oh, nice. putting plans in place yeah. so that ultimately you might think one thing now, but in five years or ten years' time, mm-hmm. it's ages and stages. Life happens, so therefore, you might want to change things. Yes. In our realm as lawyers, very often people go, oh, I want everything to be fair, but actually, there can be a fairness in the inequity of the decision you have to make mm-hmm. because every family is different yes. and every wish can be different, yeah. and that's in life and in death. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think the other thing as well is that there is always that, oh, sure, I'm not going anywhere. I, you know, I'll think about it when I need to. Yeah. And sometimes it could be triggered by if you know somebody that you love, somebody that is close to you that has died, then you kind of get a bit of a panic and you go, oh, God, I better get everything in order. Or if somebody gets sick, like if you actually get a bit of a health scare that you go, I really need to. But actually, it's when you're in full health is the best time to do it, because then you're thinking more logically. 
You're also thinking without necessarily the deep emotion of loss or fear. Yeah. Um, so at least you can say, well, actually, this is what I would like. You know, even speaking to my parents, both of my parents have signed up to donate their bodies to medical research. And that's something that was inspired by my grandmother doing that. And she signed up in 1970, which was at that time unheard of. But we knew, we always knew that that's what she was going to do. But none of us realised that my grandfather had already signed up to do that. So when he died, that didn't happen because nobody knew. And I think my grandmother, it had happened so long ago that they'd signed up, she'd forgotten. But then when she signed up, it was all just taken care of. But there was that sense of comfort that we knew we were fulfilling her wishes. Mm -hmm. And we knew that, okay, well, there was just going to be a memorial. This is what she wanted. And it took the sting out of the shock and the grief that you just go, this is great. And the same way my parents have signed up, and so we know that. But even in terms of considering, like at my age, I'm in my 40s, and it is that thing of, well, what, would I want to be an organ donor? Would I want to donate my body to medical research? Would I want a religious funeral? Would I want a non-religious funeral? Do I want to be cremated, buried? You know, even things like that. Um, and sometimes I think the pressure and grief on families to try and have to make all these decisions for the person, and again, it's based more on what they think the person would want rather than what the person themselves actually wanted. Um, and again, I remember talking to somebody recently who said, oh, I don't care what's done with me. And I said, yeah, but who in your family knows that? If you don't care, just at least let them know. And then they know, OK, well, Grant, sure, I can make the decision. If I can add just something to that, two real scenarios that I've come across. One this week where um, somebody had lost an uncle and they weren't telling the estranged children of that particular mm. uncle because they hadn't been, I suppose in a way, there was a close relationship yeah. and they treated him quite badly. So the in-laws had taken his wishes very clearly where he had said, um, uh, you know, his siblings and the nieces and nephews, where they had said, don't tell my children, I don't want them to know um, until after I'm buried and I'm dead and gone. Now, there's a lot of emotional stuff you yeah, would unpack in that, but that's actually what happened. And that compared to another family where somebody had said, I don't want a church service, I don't want anything to do with God, I just literally want a couple of songs at the graveside and off we go. But the family chose to do differently. Yes. And I think the idea of engaging family, and you mentioned it there, if there is transparency, regardless of whether family agree with you, and I'd say you'd say this, Valerie, and you see this very much so, it really is about the person wishes mm. but if you don't share them and you just put them in a piece of paper somewhere even the beautiful think ahead book yeah. the idea is that sometimes there needs to be a little bit more engagement mm. a little bit more kindness and compassion towards what other people and their beliefs might yeah. you know yeah. might be so I think that transparency mm. Jennifer that you talk about is really key and I think that's where the education comes in to help yeah. people to understand all the nuances and ultimately how going oh maybe they would have a strong view different yes, to mine yeah, or perhaps yeah. have to take it on board and assist them along because it may be a journey to mm. bring your family along to get them to do what mm. you ultimately want to yeah. do because you're you're taking other people's beliefs with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, like, and we'll move on to the thinking ahead form because uh, I just think it's fantastic and very much needed. But the the thing as well is, is that if you can get your administrative affairs in order, you can always change them as you go along. But there's an element of comfort for yourself that you can, and it's not do the, the thinking ahead form and then have your bucket list and throw yourself out of a plane going parachuting. It is more about the, now that you've got that in order, then there's the freedom to live your life. So that should something happen, whether it's an accident, you know, sudden death, or, you know, you get an illness, that at least you know that that's already taken care of. 
So, Valerie, now talking about the Thinking Ahead form, can you actually just talk to us about the thinking behind it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just sitting here nodding along with both (laughs) of you. You can't see me on the radio, but everything that you're saying, just, yes, this is what it's about. It's about these conversations. And so the Thinking uh, Think Ahead planning guides, they're they're customizable guides to planning your end of life. And remember, end of life is a part of life. Mm. So thinking about how we live well at all stages in our life um, and and thinking about talking about and then recording these choices so that we can have, you know, we might call a good death. And just as you've been talking about, Sharon, these conversations can be so difficult to have. And it is, you know, working with our uh, family members, our friends, our neighbors through these conversations and think ahead can take you through those because it really asks you, you know, here are some of the things you can think about. Yeah. Now, where are you in your journey? And you can start there, you know, start where you are. And um, whether that's thinking about uh, the treatments that you want yeah. in your life or whether that's something just like, oh, I, I would like to have a, a, a graveside mm. service. So just whatever it is, you can start there and have those conversations with friends and family. And yeah. so they're easy to read, customizable guides. I'm just delighted with them. They're gorgeous as well. They're absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Um, and in terms of like with the, the thinking ahead, as you say, there's so many different aspects to it. So can you just talk us through the form itself? Absolutely, yeah. The, the, it's a nice, beautiful folder here that comes with three different uh, parts. The first booklet there is the personal wishes and care plan. And this would be putting in place how you'd like to be cared for at the end of, end of your life, where you'd like to be. So if you prefer to be in a hospice or at hospital, if you prefer to be in the family home, uh, it also has details in there on what your spiritual or religious beliefs are, which is really important because the people caring for us might come from different cultural background mm. or a different spiritual background, have different beliefs. And so just knowing what's important for us to have around us who we'd like to be with. All of those kind of details are in there. There's also information on even your personal uh, legal or financial paperwork so that you have everything kind of in one place so that when the time comes and your family needs to be kind of looking for this information, they know where to find it. So it takes away that added stress that you think about at end of life. Then there's the uh, Advanced Healthcare Directive. This is sort of um, the bit that has a bit more legal validity, a little more legal background to it. And this is where you can put into place your choices, your requests, your refusals for treatments at the Mm. end of your life. So if it does come to a time in your life and you're not able to speak for yourself or express what your choices would be at end of life, you have it there in writing Mm. and you can even designate somebody to speak and act on your behalf. Mm. Follow your wishes um, so that you're receiving the treatment that you want, Mm. refusing treatment that you don't want Mm. and just helping have that sort of death experience, that dying experience that feels right to you. Mm. And that can also, like you're mentioning, take away that conflict in the family because people are so emotional at end of life we want to hold on, we want to somebody to choose what we want. Mm. This says, no, no, I've written down what I want for myself. Somebody's going to be re- uh, respecting those wishes. And yeah. so it's all there. And the last bit in the, uh, in the folder is a medical summary form. And just like it says, a leaflet, one-page leaflet summarizing everything that you've written down already. And you can bring this into your GP, your specialist, your healthcare team, and just say, look, I've done this paperwork. Mm. I'd like a copy of this in my file. So... When the time comes, you know that I have it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I know, because I, I had spoken to both of you, that I'm looking at setting up something similar, but yeah. from a life coaching point of view, in the sense of get your affairs in order so that you can then look at how you live your life. But one of the really interesting things is actually talking to funeral directors mm-hmm. and actually looking at the volume of work that they actually have to do. And they could be the first point of call there where people are actually ringing them saying, my father's died and what do I do? And again, they have to do everything from, you know, the, putting everything up on RIP.ie, liaising with the family, even ordering the flowers or getting the embalming. Like there's so many aspects to it that I think the work of family directors is actually really undervalued and underappreciated. Um, and again, you could have a very small town that has a funeral director that they may be de- dealing with a handful of deaths over the year. But then you have others that could be dealing with a lot. And again, you're dealing with the grieving family exactly. as well as trying to actually honour the person that has died and do the best for them. So I just wanted to give a big shout out to all funeral directors because I think what you do is amazing. They're doing a great job. And like you said, managing yeah. the emotions of everybody yeah. involved at the yeah. same time. And yeah. yeah. And I Fair think play. the other thing as well is just even looking at, um, I know there's a lady in... She's, I think she's related to Jim Collins from here from Scarf Bay, a lady called Claire O'Keefe, and she looks at succession planning for farms. I do succession planning for businesses. But one of the things as well that has been said to me as well is about succession planning for funeral directors, because there isn't mm. the next generation to go into this line of work. So the same thing, who does this? when the current generation of funeral directors themselves have moved on. So again, the more information that can be actually gathered and help kind of inform the need and what the requirements are. Um, but it's it's kind of these things that we don't think about until it's gone. Yeah. You know? uh, one of the things that you had uh, um, at, when we were chatting on the phone saying, mm. you know, what are the obstacles <clears throat> to people thinking ahead mm. or planning ahead? Uh, you know, and one of the biggest ones are family. So yes. we're talking now about family, giving them transparency, telling them what you want. But equally so, people have a fear of the conversation in terms mm-hmm. of bringing up mm-hmm. old wounds. And I think everybody listening this morning, if they actually sit and think, they all have a story or some intergenerational wound in relation to somewhere in the family, there was some row over something. Yes, you know, yeah. and if we think of the, 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 you know, the famous movie in Ireland, you know, the, the, the field, mm. the reality is we, we, you know, we're very strong about ownership in relation yes. to what we own here or where it should, should move to or generationally is it the first son or first daughter or what, what it is. Mm. So therefore people, you know, particularly if they're more vulnerable and as they get more senior, people just don't want to any conflict yes so therefore the issue being at the earliest stage if you can start talking about what it is you want it's much better don't leave it until you're 68 70 yeah. 74 going it's really about the end in mind it's more about the journey yes. again I would yeah, say yeah, because yeah, yeah. as you get older and people are minding you and need people to care for you you lose maybe your confidence a little bit mm. but you become more vulnerable and more senior you're less reluctant to make the choices you want to make yourself. You mm. can be a little bit more, you know, affected by those that are more dominant as opposed to those that are more subservient. And yeah. I find, you know, in my 25 years in this area, I have found that it's the sibling issues that rise up. You know, yeah. for as, no matter what age we are, if mammy and daddy are there, they're saying, don't pull her hair, leave his bike yeah. alone, yeah. you're always at him. We always do that. And even if we're up at 70 and 80, we still do that. Would you ever just leave her alone? Those things, but when the matriarch and the patriarch of a family are gone, all the sibling relationships 
how they are and how they've been there's nothing monitoring them so mm. if people can't emotionally regulate themselves then it, in, in the grief that's there mm. it just raises its own head so it doesn't matter that people are fighting about big farmlands it can be the smallest thing yes, I've had a yeah. client that will say herself and her sister will never really get on again because the sister went in and took the pearl earrings that, that mm. the one particular girl thought oh I'd always want them and had always said it but the other sister had gone in ahead and obviously the jewellery box and it's not like theft or anything yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. I'd love them of mammies yeah, yeah. so even when I meet people to do wills and say you know if it's a, a female or male you'll say you know have you jewellery have you, have you gentlemen's watch have you personal and sentimental Even items art and stuff like it, that absolutely yeah. so people overlook it you know, say, mm. and the contents of my house but you know sometimes, even particularly even if you're a granny, you'll have grandkids come and say, Granny, I love that picture. Yeah. Or a daughter that might say, I love that sideboard. It seems really small. It's generally never about the value. Yes, it's, it's about the, the sentimental attachment. Yeah. And perhaps the fact that somebody feels overlooked with the smallest yeah. of things in favour of somebody else. So I find when I'm sitting with somebody doing you know, a succession plan and trying to think it forward and everything, you're really looking like a chessboard at the pieces. Mm. The who, what, where, how, you know, what's going to come up for somebody and you're assisting like a sounding board in terms of going okay let's focus on this bit and you begin to see what's stopping them mm. you, you know um, I've trained as a transformational coach yeah. as well and, and and that's the point where you see that you see what people where where they stop thinking and where they don't want to go any further yes, and so yeah. therefore when people say about the solicitor I'll just pop in it'll be you know a couple of hundred to make a will and end a story actually sometimes there can be a journey yeah. and there can be a couple of visits so that people can work their way through in terms of what it is exactly that, yeah, they, yeah. that they need and what they care about and also there could be a whole load of stuff that there are belongings that they do, they do what you like with them but again mm. just to be even clear with that um, and can I ask then in terms of the form so you have the you you get the the pack. This is the Irish yeah. Hospice Foundation. Hosp- pack. Oh, the yeah, Irish yeah. Hospice Foundation thinking ahead pack, and it's beautiful. It's really lovely, well done. So you fill it in. What's the next step then? Do you give it to somebody? Like as you said, the medical form you can give to your GP, but you know what happens to the form? Do they just then give it to the family member that they would like to act on their behalf, or is there a process to it? Well, I think the process is really using these forms to. <clears throat> Start thinking for yourself about what you want. Mm. Start having these conversations with your family. Mm. You fill in what feels comfortable to you. <clears throat> for the healthcare directive, if you want it to be kind of legally bound and mm. valid, you need to have it signed by yourself, anybody that you appoint to speak for you, and a couple of witnesses. But it doesn't need to go through a solicitor. It doesn't need to be registered anywhere, which is one thing that I really like about mm. this because it makes it more accessible. Yes. So you fill this out. You sign it properly, and you can keep it in your bedside locker. You can give a copy mm. to your GP if you want, as long as the people who are who need to know about it, and that's sort of a broad term, yeah. who needs to know about it, that's up to you to decide. Is mm. it your family? Is it the GP? As long as they know about it and kind of know where it's stored, then it's ready to go. Yes. Yeah. Um, the personal wishes and care plan, you can fill in whatever feels comfortable. I would say start where you are. So if you know one bit of it that you really know about what you want for your end of life and your and your death start there start where it's easy start where you know the answers already and you can always adjust it you can change it you can add things to it later and just keep it to yourself and sh- well keep it near you yeah. and share it with those who are close to you so they know where it is so they know where it is yeah because i yeah. even said that to my parents during the week i said so you know what happens like 
God, you know, God forbid both of you went at the same time. And they said, oh, it's it's in your father's papers. I said, where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's that thing of where yeah. is it actually yeah. kept? Who knows this, yeah. you know? And one of my teachers would always say, you know, have that death file. Yeah. So that could yeah. be letters that you want your family members to have. Yeah. Or a list of the personal items that you want to go out. But keeping things in one place, mm. and that's your legal paperwork. That's yeah. your financial paperwork as well. So it's right there. And it is... Like you said, it is a journey, and it can be a really kind of healing process, yeah, yeah. whether you're nearing the end of your life or whether you're just kind of thinking and daydreaming, daydreaming mm. about the future. Yeah. What do you want your your the perfect death yeah. to look like? The and perfect the end of life as well. and How the commemoration. It's like the movie so of your life. How do you think you would actually be commemorated? So if somebody's going to say your eulogy, actually, what is it that you want them to be saying about yes. you? Yes. Um, I, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying, <laughs> 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 I say, don't say, I just, uh, my, my kids, the only thing they know, uh, they say, Dad, if you tell me another, if you tell us another song you want at your funeral, yeah. we'll be here for four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so, that's my favorite part to yeah, work on yeah, is the yeah, funeral yeah, playlist. Yeah, so I was yeah, telling, yeah. I was telling my wife, you know, I've got three now. There's yeah. for the ceremony. There's for while everybody's eating, yeah, yeah. and then there's for the dance party afterwards, yeah. which there will be. Yeah. So. Yeah. But um, I have I, I, my main job. I work as a freelance journalist, and I write property for the Farming Independent. So I, um, I'm involved in you know the, not the sale of, but you know the, there's farms that are for sale. And I also write a page of property for the Weekly Independent on a Friday. Uh, for the, and the, the contrast is, is, is there's a, a real contrast. Now, there's a contrast between the way we do it. For the property on a Friday, what I do is I'll interview the couple. So, Sharon, I'll interview you about your house and maybe you, it came, you came by it in, a, in an odd kind of way or whatever. And we concentrate on your story. The second part of that is just about the house, your four bedrooms, blah, 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 blah. So there's always an interesting story. But for, when it comes to farms... Somebody said, God, that would be great to do with the farms, but you can't do it because the vast majority of farm sales I deal with are executor sales. Yes. And, um, and I've walked through many a house where literally it's as if, um, they, 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 like, beam me up, Scotty. People are just taken. I remember one house over near Newport and the man's two caps, his Sunday cap and his working cap, were on the back of two armchairs and had been there for two years, oh. you know, without moving. You go in... And the first thing you notice is that there is now an ensuite downstairs or the utility was, was converted to an ensuite beside, beside the sitting room. And that's now. So you saw the movement. And, but very often it has taken two years or more to, to resolve it. And then there's a lot of there are wedding photographs, graduation yes. photographs, all still on the walls. And all you can hear behind you is the rustle of a black bag that's going to come in and take all that stuff. Mm. And it's going to be gone. And last week, uh, or recently, I walked a farm where, um, and it's a substantial piece of property, um, that the man died in test it. And a very simple thing, his neighbour um, had made a will, and literally within a week, he died suddenly. Your man was convinced, if I make my will, I'll die within a week. Oh, <laughs> Just that irrational thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge, huge issue out there, and I find that, that um, I'm, you're, it's real sadness, really, mm -hmm. walking around these places where there has been no plan made. Yeah. And literally, it's, it's as if life stood still. Mm. And, and for, uh, particularly, I suppose I, I, I'm always saying, particularly for farmers, you know, we have a sizable amount of bachelor farmers. Yes. Uh, that again, going, I'll figure it out, or it'll go to nieces and nephews, and you're going... 
but, but you can't give one thing between but, but, eight people. It just and, won't work. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, it's and actually, that's the case. I was telling yeah. you, it worked out very uh, sadly in the sense that there were two or three nephews that really looked after this man really well. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of his business. Now he lived alone and liked to live alone and uh, and all that, but they had looked after him. As it turned out, because he died in testate, there was a whole swath of uh, nephews and nieces who had uh, nothing, nothing to do to with him, yeah. never cared for him, never uh, came to visit. They got an equal amount yeah. of the people yeah. who had invested a lot of time. And, and nobody you know. gives back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. because yeah. actually they give it yeah. back and just those three who minded him would yeah. get it. You know, people don't give back what, you, you know, yeah. they say, I don't know, I'll give that to GB, I won't get it. If somebody's getting 50 grand's worth of something, everybody has needs, They, t you know, yeah. they tend to yeah. sort of take it. So the family disputes. And, and it tends to go down generations cause offence by saying I will only give to the people that help me because there's always a hope that the other ones will step in at some point but then they yeah. never do you know and mm -hmm. um, so one thing that I wanted to ask then as well is in terms of the process of creating a will what is actually the process for that and, and before I answer that, I'm going to go, no, uh, because yeah. it's really important, because I, I'm, I'm a great advocate of the Think Ahead form. Yeah. And in fairness to Valerie, she set it out really clearly. But I suppose as the lawyer sitting here, you know, it's this particular area in some ways is fraught with complexities. As we've mm. said, family, there's medical, there's what your wishes were, what they need to be because of, you know, how you are and if you're ill now. So I would always say that, that, that you know, things like the Advanced Healthcare Directive, certainly if there's any capacity issues, they are issues that have to be dealt with in an educational place, whether it be a lawyer or otherwise, so that you clearly know what it is, the law or the education that, you know, that surrounds it. Yeah. So one of the questions you had asked, Valerie, where would you keep it? You know, I think it's really important to say that the legal part of it and the enduring power of attorney part of the of the mm -hmm. form is that it's there to extract the information from you that you might write it down, but it doesn't make it legal. legal you yeah. have to create a will in the way in mm -hmm. which, you know, the, the, the legal protocols that have to be there. Otherwise, Otherwise, it's a situation where it would be an intestacy. The same with the Advanced Health Care Directive. It's not a matter of saying, calling the neighbours over for a cup of tea and sitting down saying, because we all sign this. You really need to know and understand mm. it's about what you don't want to happen yes. rather than what you do wish to happen. Yeah. And there is complexities in people understanding a lot of this because what's happened also is a lot of, I won't say barstool is sometimes the, the word I use, but, you know, a lot of tea and coffee mornings where people have chatted to say, oh, that's what that is. Sure, Mary told me or John said to me, his know, uncle yeah, said, yeah. and you'll find some of that when you go into the farms and yeah. everybody has a different version of maybe what somebody has said to them what the law would be and, and perhaps not related at all to how the law is so I think that's really in, important for me to state that the forms are brilliant they go down to the minutia of extracting the information from you mm. but it's really important in the areas where the law would prevail that that, that that you do then go through that law to make sure that you're signing the form in the way and in the understanding of what might happen or how somebody could contradict it or say oh no she didn't know what she was at or if there's any capacity mm. issues the, the new advanced health care um, um, directive. Um, yeah, d directive. Again, in the capacity area, a lot of information is coming in with health mm. and with capacity. Mm. Um, and, and that new law, the Capacity Act, previously we just had the Lunacy Act, now we have a new Capacity Act. And it's all encompassing. And hopefully it'll come in in the winter in full. But there's a huge amount of education information mm. to come with it because other jurisdictions are way ahead of us. So when you read in the paper that you can decide this, like a living will or euthanasia, and mm. you 
you know, Ireland isn't at all at that level yes, yet. Yeah. We're moving there. So this is a really exciting time to go. We're updating our laws and we can look at the best of all the other jurisdictions and, and, and bring it in. Yeah. So that's the first thing when you say about a will, yeah. that it, although it says write your wishes in the form, it, it, it may not constitute your will. If you mm. do it right and nobody could challenge it, it could be seen to be one. But I, I'm afraid of, of homemade wills. I've litigated yes, yeah. too many of them oh. and too many have been overturned. Yeah. And, so I think... And we recommend going to solicitor yeah, for I, wills and yeah. EPAs and here. Oh, well, absolutely. There, yeah. And it's only because the problem is if they get overturned, your wishes can't be brought in. It yeah. creates that feud. So we're go- if we say harmony and health mm. and hurt, mm. we just want to stay on the harmony side. Yeah, you yeah. Know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So And so like that, if I... Like so, if any of our listeners said, "Well, actually, I don't have a will," what steps do they take? Well, well, our process, and particularly because of this in 2019 and the education process mm. with it, when somebody contacts us, we will send them out a form um, and to fill, not dissimilar to the Think Ahead yeah. form. You know, who are your relatives? What do you have? Where is it located? Um, who do you think your executor might be? So somebody does a little bit of homework um, and writes down all the different bits and pieces that they're thinking. So if I get that first or they bring it with them, mm. then I have a sense of how to read between the lines or I'm further ahead than if they walk in in the blind to go yeah. through what are the questions what do you want so there's room for discussion to understand their mindset so if somebody comes in and it's straightforward they can come in we can go through the form we can design what the will is and very often on that same day within that same hour we can get the will done and signed yeah. and off they go home if it's something bigger very often in farms you know it is because yeah. you may not be leaving the whole farm to somebody or you might want a site for two sites for two daughters out of it or, yeah, yeah. you know there's different yeah. things to be brought in into play that probably would take two or three meetings yes in terms of what exactly that you want. Sometimes it's a matter of making, particularly for, you know, certain age groups, making, you know, the will to say, well, look, if this were to happen to me, mm-hmm. uh, then this is what I want. But ages and stages, I often say to people, people should have at least three wills in their lifetimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're single and you may have a house. Then maybe you're cohabiting. Then maybe you're married. You know, you have children, you don't have children. You have dependents. You get to the middle age, where maybe your children are, you know, late 20s and 30s. You don't know which one of them might want more or not. At that mm-hmm. stage, you say, oh, to everyone equally. But then at a later stage, everyone's married, everyone's done well, but there's one person perhaps that hasn't come along the same as the rest and you want to make sure that they're provided for. Mm. So every stage in life, there's something different you might consider. Someone you were leaving something to has died and you go, oh, my best friend Mary is gone. I was going to leave her my, you know, my necklace. No, I'll give that to somebody else. So there's always something. So I think that's why it's important to sit with, you know, uh, somebody who makes wills to go through it's really the education. Make sure it's all in order as well. we, None of us know what we don't know. Yeah. So when you're with somebody, it can be a sounding board and, and just say, well, what do you, and what about that? And Because we get caught up in our head. That's the other yeah. challenge in this area is we overthink in our head. It's a bit like being in the maths class. Is it a stupid question? I won't put my hand up. I'll say nothing. Yeah. You know, so if you stay in your head all the time, you're only thinking about the same things. Whereas if you explore it, then, ah, it isn't, generally it isn't the problem we yeah. thought you thought it was. But I would advocate everybody listening to have one and then it's very easy to change it and update yeah, it. The cost isn't any more than 200 quid normally, to yeah, be fair. Yeah. And then look, if people are going, oh, really, it's very expensive. Or, you know, it's about the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Yeah. Is that if we're thinking about family or you're thinking about having your affairs in order, it's really, it's a very little cost yes. just to have a plan. 
Three and, and, so, and things yes, to go through the courts later is much more expensive on the family as well. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and if there's and money, if there's money, and, then yeah. but there's only you know the lawyers or the yeah. winners. But ultimately, it's the hurt generation. Mm, yes. A lot of this area is really about the intergenerational hurt that follows on. So if people have had an experience in their life or in their family in relation to stuff, they tend to be in that mold of carrying it forward mm-hmm. or being a little bit worried about stuff and overly worried because their own scenario might be completely mm. different than what happened the generation mm. or two generations before and I think um, so leading on to this then I just want to obviously mention the fact that there is the roadshow and that you're bringing the form and you're bringing the opportunity for people to actually ask questions learn a little bit more I think there's so much information it's such a fascinating topic that affects all of us we could be here doing an entire show just on this. So, Valerie, can you just tell us about the actual roadshow that's happening around the country? Yeah, so we'll be going around uh, the entire country in autumn, September into October, bringing Think Ahead to different communities, educating people on Think Ahead. Um, we'll also be hosting conversations around death and dying. And so those things are, are kind of being planned right now. We're starting in Clare in September with three dates mm. on the 1st, the 8th and the 15th and I think Sharon can share a bit more about that as well. Um, but we're also looking for partners around the country and so if you mm. want Think Ahead to come to your community or if you want to be hosting conversations on death and dying yeah. you can reach out to us. We're at thinkahead at hospicefoundation.ie or you can call us and, and we'll arrange it. Um, but we do have these three dates coming up in and September. Very, yeah, and it's in the first half of September so yeah. you know the kids have just gone back to school yeah. um, you know and particularly seniors who may have been playing a huge role in minding kids over the summer it's a good time to get out. I also think it's a magnificent opportunity for camaraderie and for meeting up again because when Mm. we did this back in 2019 I was absolutely blown away by the community feel inside the rooms so in on the 1st of September we're in the Killaloo um, Hotel and Spa on the 8th of September in the Kilrush Golf Club and on the 15th of September um, um, in the Ennis Civic Rooms on Drumbiggle Road I already know because people rang my office is that the one in Killaloo is fully booked there's not a room there's not a scene to be had so so (laughs) the reality is that I think people post-Covid want to get out to meet again have Mm. an opportunity to sit side by side most of these um, rooms was round tables so people could discuss um, and enjoy the morning and and there's a lot tea and coffee and sandwiches laid out one to one, and yeah. then if there's a, a light refreshment, or light, light lunch afterwards. Yes. You know, yeah. So. so, so, so I think again, just a, again, look, a pandemic. People have been held at home. They haven't been meeting people. It's a great opportunity, real community feel. I also think with the education, with the booklets there, people are able to look through. They see the questions and the think ahead form. So, what would you? Oh, I never would have thought of what music mm. would I play at my funeral. It really makes it inclusive and engaging. So people go, ah. Wow, I never thought of that because actually it goes so in detail, it'll prompt you to stuff that you never would think that you could say... I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. And then you're yeah. with a group of people who are also there thinking about those questions and are open to having those conversations with you, which can be kind of the tricky bit of it sometimes. Yeah. And it's sometimes quite who funny. Who do you talk to? Yeah, yeah. because like I, I actually put together all of my wishes um, towards the end of last year. Now, I had moved abroad and I was going to very dangerous countries, so I decided to put everything together the day before I went, gave it to my mother. She was like, well, this is cheery. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but I just said, well, do you know what? I, I would rather you have this information, like even things like these are my bank account details, these are my social media, yeah. details of like yeah. wipe everything um, <laughs> but you know even going through that but then last I think over the last couple of years we've all known people that have passed away 
In some cases, it's been related to COVID. In other cases, it's been people have had long-term illnesses. We didn't get to attend funerals. Like, I think it's wonderful that there's the option to actually watch things online online now as well. But also, people are really thinking about that kind of, oh, God, actually, what would I like? So I redid everything then in November because I had known somebody that had been quite close to me years ago that had actually died by suicide. And it made me really think that actually their family were just devastated obviously and completely in shock so they didn't even know if what they were doing was what he would have wanted Mm. so I put everything together and like that I even said okay this is the type of service I would like these are the people I would like to be involved in the actual service and then and I remember announcing to a friend of mine I said by the way I've put you down as one of the pallbearers and he went oh okay okay well that's a bit weird like why you know thank you in one way and he said how come? And I said, because you're six foot four and the rest of my family are really small. So I'm just kind of <laughs> curious what would happen. You know? <laughs> so again, just even a sense of mischief as well. You know, like I think I put my sister-in-law down to sing a song that she really doesn't like and I love. Um, but it's you can have a bit of fun with it as well. But also in that sense of, again, it takes the pressure off the family to kind of go, I think they would like this, Mm -hmm. but actually you might have liked something else, Mm -hmm. you know. Now, the other thing as well is if people who aren't able to actually go to the events, how can they actually get access to the Irish Hospice Foundation forms? Wonderful question. We have them free for download on our website, thinkahead.ie, for those listeners who are digitally inclined. You can also email us or call us and we'll post them out to you. And what's the phone number? It's 01-679-3188. And you can ask for Valerie if you have any questions. I'm here to answer all questions related to Think Ahead. You can email us at thinkahead at hospicefoundation.ie. And you can order them online as well from thinkahead.ie. And then the other thing as well is obviously the Clare events are hosted by the Clare Older People's Council. Sharon, can you tell us anything about the council? Um, well, I suppose the Clare Older People's Council, you know, has come together over the last number of years. They have their own committee and they're guiding and putting in place um, um, events for older people. Mm. Because, uh, you know, once upon a time, I think the view was, what well, older people, sure, what would they be doing? They're getting older and there's, you know, that's the end of that. Yeah. But the reality is that our seniors are very, very active. And the other thing is, you know, the idea of age friendly. Mm. You know, Clare County Council has actually really taken the remit to make Clare one of the friendliest people for seniors. Mm. Now, I go middle age up like Mm. because people are retiring from 55 on Mm. so the idea of going well you know what will we do how can we how can we engage so this is an organization that's going to become bigger and bigger and have even a greater remit in terms of how we live and live well and and i think primarily the function in the last number of years has been that idea of education Mm. and pushing out the areas that seniors can be more aware of and i say seniors because i just always say the third act from 55 Mm. on not the traditional way of seniors 85 upwards you know the and, and and what's really come out of um, resetting this one is with the Irish Hospice Foundation and the Think Ahead form, all the areas that feed into it that I would do, you know, is you know like the wills is only part of it, the enduring powers of attorney, the new capacity act that's coming in, mm. and the fair deal scheme. Like this time, I'm mm. talking about that, but there's huge misnomer in relation to the fair deal scheme and huge fear. If I go into long term care, someone will take my house, they'll yeah, take my yeah, money, yeah. I'll have nothing, yeah, I can't yeah, see anyone. Yeah, and yeah. again, this is this fireside chatting. That 
goes on. Yeah. But I'm amazed at the amount of people that you know that, that come in worrying about. Oh, sure, I couldn't go into that. But you know, yeah, last yeah. week I had somebody you know who was in one of the hospitals in the region going, oh, they want us to leave, and you know, the, she can't go into a nursing home, mm. and 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 ultimately um, because they'll take her house, mm. you know. So so there is a lot of education to go on, yeah. and I think this is a magnificent roadshow, and I think it'll run. I think this will be one, and I think there'll be another two or three yeah. before Christmas because the already if they're full and word is only beginning to seep mm. out so uh, I, I think Clare will be you know will be the start the forerunner as it has been and one of the most successful counties to really push this out and yeah. ingrain the education amongst the communities that's great I also want to give a shout out there's also a new business called myfarewellwishes.ie and I know they'll be involved with the Irish Hospice Foundation's roadshow um, but they're also looking in terms of payment plans and stuff so I think there are other businesses that will be actually helping to support this so for now I want to thank Sharon Cahar for, um, from Cahar and Co solicitors and also Valerie Smith from the Irish Hospice Foundation for bringing this information to us for sharing so much and I think we could have kept talking about it and so again the 8th and the 15th of September the 1st of September is full up but you can contact the Clare Older Persons uh, Council and you can also find all these details on social media and on their websites so ladies thank you very much for your time and we're actually going to play um, Send Me On My Way by Rusted Roots so thank you very much thanks Jennifer thanks man Thank you.